Yasser Arafat Street in Bethlehem, uh, just a block or two away from a massive medieval looking wall, which has actually only been uh, built in the last few decades, uh, covered in graffiti, speaking of the injustices toward the Palestinian people. As I'm standing in the West Bank in an area that is around the site where Jesus was born, I find a lot of irony here. And uh, there'll be lots of those conversations to come. But today we continue our uh, worship series, our, our message series on this gospel according to pop music. And I chose for my uh, first sermon uh, to talk about Brandy Carlisle's song, You and Me on the Rock. Uh, you, might be, uh, you might recall that uh, my friend Jen Adams preached a, a few weeks ago. And then, of course, our executive minister, Nick Bailey, also preached uh, last week. And here I am this week in Bethlehem recording this message for you. And uh, You and Me on the Rock is a beautiful song. I hope you listened to it on our social media, went to YouTube and check it out and listen to it first before you come back and finish this message. Uh, Brandy Carlisle has an incredible story to tell. But, you know, there's a reason I picked that song. It's because she's intentionally referencing a story in the Gospel of Matthew. And this story is a story where Jesus has brought his disciples way up to the upper ends of what we call Israel today, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And, you know, before the last couple of weeks, I had no idea where Caesarea Philippi was. I thought it was somewhere else completely. I was totally confused. Uh, this trip has opened up my understanding of the Gospels, especially of the terrain and the geography and the towns in which Jesus preached and taught and healed uh, the sick and those who were struggling. Now you'll notice it's a very loud and busy town, even with the windows closed, there's constant honking and bustling and noise, and it's just a, it's an adventure to be here. The same is true to get to Caesarea Philippi. You see, it's on the northern edge of Israel, on the border with Syria and Lebanon, right at the base of Mount Hermon, which is a very famous mountain in the Bible and in general, a mountain where they get snow. The only mountain, really, where they get snow in this area. And so it's the mountain from which most of the water comes when the snow melts. It comes down the mountain into three rivers, which then all go into the Jordan River, which then flows into the Sea of Galilee, and then out through the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. It's the major source uh, of water for many ancient peoples, and even today, uh, for the people who enjoy the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee. And at the very top, of this river uh, system at the very base of Mount Hermon is Caesarea Philippi, an ancient, ancient city built on a spring system with flowing water, which you can see King Herod uh, built this out with a temple to Pan, the god Pan. And uh, this temple was built into the side of a mountain where there was this deep cave within the temple that they would say uh, was like the gates to Hades. It, it was such a deep cave and you could imagine when you die, you go into this cave and into the center of the earth where you live among the dead, right? And so Jesus and his disciples go up there to do some work and do some teaching. And as they're there, they have this conversation. Jesus asks a question, who do people say that I am? And their disciples have a bit of a debate. And then Peter, being the sort of uh, precocious one, that's a nice way to say it, right? The precocious one of the group 
says, well, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Bold claims, right? This is in a time and in a place when the emperor of Rome called himself the Son of God. And when claims to be the Messiah had come and gone over the last few centuries with nothing coming from it, every Messiah being killed and that being the end of it. So to make this claim was controversial, it was political, it was theological, it was loaded, and Jesus confirms it. He confirms it to Peter. He says, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. You nailed it. That is who I am. But what's interesting is then he says this phrase, very famous phrase. You know, he says that, uh, you know, your name is Peter, which means rock, stone, in the Greek, and upon this rock I will build my church. I didn't really understand that phrase completely until I got to Caesarea Philippi. You know, many have used that phrase to suggest that Peter is the, the foundation of the church. The Roman Catholic Church considers Peter the first bishop of the church uh, because of this very statement. And every pope since has counted their lineage back to Peter. They're serving in the apostolic seat of Peter, the bishop seat of Peter. And it comes from this very phrase. And so the Roman Catholic Church claims uh, supremacy, primacy over all Christians because they trace their leadership back to Peter. Now, I'm not here to, to get into an argument about that. I mean, it's a, it's a reasonable thing to say. There's also other things pushing against it. Of course, as Methodists, we think differently <laughs> about this. But it's interesting to me, when you go to Caesarea Philippi, it's this far-flung place on the edges of the kingdom where it would have been a place where they would have to have a military outpost where they would collect taxes as people came along the trade route to go down through Israel and down into Egypt and other places. And so you have this very rocky terrain, but it's not like you think with desert wilderness. There's lots of trees and flowing water, butterflies and flowers everywhere. It's beautiful, but it's still kind of a mountain area. So in this particular case, the King Herod was uh, Philip, one of the Herod the Great's children, and he built Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea for the Caesar, the Roman Emperor, and Philippi to name after himself. And um, as they're in this space, you know, you can look around at all these massive stones and rocks and stones used to build the temple and the palace and everything else. And Jesus says, you know, you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. This rock, not that rock, or that rock, or that rock. There's another passage this reminds me of where Jesus is talking, and many of the religious leaders uh, suggest that he's not who he says he is and that what he's saying is crazy. And Jesus says, you know, even if you don't worship me, the stones will cry out. The stones will uh, worship me. And um, I find that fascinating because it's, it's always with Jesus that, number one, creation itself is sort of crying out for salvation, crying out for God, whether it's the trees or the stones, the, the animals <laughs> wandering the earth that are crying out for this, this uh, peace, right? But then also Jesus always turns it on its head and suggests that we spend a lot of time, like the pagans in Roman times, worshiping these stone buildings and these stone facsimiles of gods. And he's looking around at all these stones and he's saying, you know, this is one thing, but my church will be built on living stones, not stones hewn from rock in the earth, but living stones that are human beings, Peter being one of those human beings. 
So the church isn't a place. The church isn't a stone building. God is not some some person we can carve out of marble or stone, but rather the, the church is made up of human beings that are alive and active and doing work and worshiping and singing and teaching and serving. This has become more true to me having been in the Holy Land for the last few weeks because what I have found is that almost every quote-unquote holy site that we have, particularly down here in the Jerusalem-Bethlehem area, basically has a church on it. And we sort of have a a joke going in our group that it's like the Beyonce song. If you like it, you better put a church on it (laughs) instead of a ring. Because it seems like every special spot, whether it was where Jesus was born or Jesus was crucified or tried and jailed or where Jesus was buried, where Jesus resurrected, where Jesus ascended into heaven, they've stuck a big, massive, gaudy church on top of that spot. And so after a while, you find yourself just seeing churches over and over again. It becomes pretty boring, actually, that part of the trip. There's a lot of parts of the trip that have been awesome. But that particular part has been disappointing because what has happened is uh, those historical sites that we think might be sites of major events in history have been covered up with a building. It's much like the story of Jesus on Mount Tabor, which we went and saw as well, where he meets with Elijah and Moses on Mount Tabor, and they they speak to one another. There's this great light. We call it the transfiguration. Right? This amazing thing happens, and then after it's done, the disciples that are there who see it say, hey, let's build some houses for you and Elijah and Moses now. Basically, let's build churches. (laughs) That's what they're saying. There's something about the human uh, initiative that wants to just build a a monument or a church to uh, honor our religious heritage every time. So it's done all around the Holy Land here. The big question is, is that what Jesus wants from us? And I think this is a good story and a good example that suggests no, that it's not about buildings at all. You may have heard this in your experience with church that Church is not a building, it's the people, it's the body of Christ, and yet we still build buildings. Even with Kaylee Community, we feel the pressure to create a space where people can come and worship on Sunday mornings. And we're working toward that, but I'll be honest with you, as a church planter, I wrestle with that idea because once we create a space, we own it, and we have to maintain it. And a lot of our energy and effort goes into that and not into doing God's work in the world not into building what we call the kingdom of God, which is sort of the values system of God, a value system of justice and mercy and love and forgiveness. We don't spend our time on that when we have a building, when we have a facility, because it becomes about having enough money and having all the time and energy put into maintaining and growing that space, that building. Much like all these churches that have been plopped down everywhere. Is it more important to have a building or is it more important to be the body of Christ, the living stones, uh, the rock of the church, doing the work of the church in the community in which we live and operate? And I think deep down inside, we all know the answer to that question. So there's nothing wrong with us creating a space to worship. We're going to do that, but we're going to do it very simply and try not to make that the central part of who we are as a church. The central part of who we are should be the daily life that we live together how we support one another when someone needs childcare, when someone needs financial help, when someone has a car that's broken down, uh, when someone is short on food or uh, short on clothing, when someone is just emotionally drained, 
struggling parenting a, a child with special needs or struggling parenting a teenager who, you know, is kind of not quite a human being for a while. Uh, those who struggle with uh, their marriage, uh, those who have gone through a divorce or are going through a divorce, those who are LGBTQIA and are ostracized by their community or their family or their former church. And in our current climate, those who've lost their church because churches have voted to leave the United Methodist denomination and go to more conservative paths. And so many people in our area are finding themselves homeless in terms of church. So the real church is about that. It's about caring for people, taking care of one another in our daily lives. And our weekly gathering is a place where we could fill our cup, where we can praise God together, see one another, encourage one another in that moment uh, but we need to take something away from that and be those living stones that don't just sit there like a big church building for centuries and centuries, slowly decaying, uh, but to be living stones that go and move and do. Now, what does this have to do with Brandy Carlisle's song? Well, not much, actually. <laughs> I like the song. It's a good song. One of the things I love about Brandy Carlisle, though, is that she is a gay woman who's found a beautiful partner and they have a wonderful life together. But it was hard fought and hard won uh, because, you know, she grew up a uh, Christian. She grew up in a Christian environment. And when she went to be baptized at a young age, she was refused baptism because of her sexuality. And so that sent her on a path of great pain because of the trauma that came out of that. That's evil. That's wrong. Uh, that's a really confused idea of what baptism is supposed to be. And uh, it did a lot of damage to her. But what's interesting about her music, if you listen to it, is that there are a ton of biblical references in her music because she grew up very familiar with uh, the biblical narrative and the stories of Jesus and the Hebrew Bible. And so when she talks about you and me on the rock, it's interesting because she's being a little bit subversive here. She's not talking about building her life on Jesus Christ or on the church, but building her life with her partner in a way that works for them. And there's part of that that uh, I have a little discomfort with, right? Because if we become too reliant upon our partners or our families, we become what we call codependent, right? Where we can't function without that person in our life. No doubt, if I ever lost my spouse, God forbid, uh, it would be devastating. And I really don't know how I'd get up in the morning, to be honest with you. But I hope that God would fill me and I would find a way because uh, that codependency can be uh, soul-crushing. And uh, if you become codependent, it can be a really hard path for you and your partner. And so there's a balance to be had in this song, right? You don't want to become so codependent that you're like completely on this other person for all meaning in life. But it seems to me there's something underneath this song. What Brandy Carlisle is really saying is, I'm really happy in my life with my partner, but even better than that, I'm happy with the simplicity that we found, with the lifestyle that we found. And in a way that is building uh, their house on a foundation of rock, on a foundation of love, and mercy and forgiveness and justice, right? Because she says it's not about the money. It's about the relationship. It's about the simplicity. It's about gardening and going on walks. It's about the joy of the simple things that God has given us, not the magnificent things that we might dream of. Bigger cars, bigger houses, more money in the bank, more vacations, fancy things for our kids, fancy schools for our kids, right? All the things we dream about. 
And she says, really, when you get right down to it, through all the suffering, all the trauma, all the things I've been through, at the end of the day, the things that matter most are very simple. It's about relationships, family, friends, and a simple life together away from the nonsense of society. I think that's true. Having been here in the Holy Land, I've been changed in a way. I, I expected to meet God in one way at these holy sites and have some kind of revelation or moment of warm, fuzzy feelings inside. And instead, God has deeply unsettled me in this space. And I'll share more of that as time goes on. But the, the unsettling comes from this place that uh, the place where Jesus Christ was born is a place where rampant injustice and oppression is taking place every day. And there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do. So if we get distracted by the complicated things, like Brandy Carlisle talks about, the, the money and the flashy stuff, if we get distracted by that, we will fail, and we have failed, to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. When we get distracted by all those things, we find them to be more important, and our life becomes about maintaining our household, just like it becomes about maintaining our church. And instead, it should be about maintaining our relationships with each other, and with God. If you'll recall, the greatest commandments love God, straight up, love each other horizontally. And that's the cross. I say that a lot. I'll say that all the time because I think it's important for us to know that's the image of the cross. The image of the cross is the image of the greatest commandments love God, love one another. Nothing else really matters. And I hope that you hear that in her song. And definitely hear it in this story of uh, Peter naming the Son of God, the Messiah, and saying, no longer will we worship uh, buildings or stone figurines, but we will worship a living God, and we will be living people on the move, doing the work of God in the world. So I leave you with this thought from Bethlehem, from the birthplace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you become a living stone? How can you avoid the temptation to build bigger and better things, to do bigger and better things, to maintain a bigger and better household, a bigger and better church building? And how can you really bring God's kingdom here now? What relationships has God put in your life that are ripe to be fruitful, ripe to have a depth in them, ripe to have ripe to have a deep peace with one another? What relationships has God put in your life that are difficult and you know you need to work on? What people can you love better? What things can you do to reorient your day and your week to make sure that it's about kingdom building and not about the other kind of kingdom building? Your own kingdom. <laughs> How can you reorient your day and your week so that you're building God's kingdom and not your own? These are the questions we reckon with and we'll talk about throughout the coming weeks, months, and years together as we figure this out together at Kaylee Community. For now, I just want to say I miss you all. I'm looking forward to flying back late tomorrow night. I'll be back with you at the gathering Sunday night, April 30th at 6 o'clock. Amen. <laughs>